0: Hello there and welcome to another episode of Redefining Balance for Working Moms podcast by Your Life Rocks. My name is Jenny Stemmerman, your host, and I am so excited that you're here today because today we're talking about nutrition and health, but in a different way than we have ever done it before. We are talking about how to get your kids to eat healthy without passing on your own thoughts around nutrition and what healthy eating is and all of that good stuff. Like how do we do this in the healthiest way possible so our kids can be the healthiest they can be? We're going to talk about how to take all the stress out of it, make it super easy, and maybe, just maybe, even make it fun. Today, I am joined by Megan Hadley, who is a nutrition therapist and owner of Simple Nutrition. Now, she helps people do nutrition when they do not want to diet. So she's all about helping women be healthy without having to think so much about their food and their body and more about what matters most to them. Now, she is also a working Christian mom just like us, so she totally gets what the busy life looks like and how to make this a priority, especially with your kiddos. Now, before we jump into my interview with Megan, I do want to remind you that we are starting up another round of Life Balance Method here in just a couple of weeks. April 10th, actually, is when we're going to be starting our next round, and I would love for you to join us. You can go to yourliferocks.com forward slash life balance method and learn more. All right. Are you guys ready to get into my interview with Megan? Let's go. Megan, welcome to Redefining Balance Podcast. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. You know, it's interesting. In the last six years, we've never talked about this particular topic. So I'm really excited to learn from you. But before we get into all of the goodness about feeding our families, share with us a little bit more about who you are. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me on. Wow, I did not
1: know that it has been six years. I feel pretty, or in the six years of production of this podcast that you've not talked about this. So I feel um, pretty honored to be here. I uh, am in Greensboro, North Carolina. I am married to an incredible husband and I have two little girls. They are eight and four, almost nine and five, almost completely into that elementary school age years. And um, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. And what really lights me up about what I do is getting to work with, women on being able to improve their relationship with food and body. Um, And one of the ways that I love being able to help them do that, because as soon as we start doing that work, it's like, well, gosh, how do I do this with my kids? How do I bring this home to my kids as well? And so I do a one-on-one nutrition counseling practice, and then also work with folks online in our Fork the Food Rules membership. And I really enjoy being able to work both ways.
0: That's so incredible and it it's amazing to listen to like all of the things that you're doing and I think about this with every single working mom <laughs> that I talk to is that we're all doing so much. I mean, you are serving so many people and when you're serving an audience like that and you're really sharing your wisdom, it can take a lot out of you. And especially having two young children that can take a lot out of you, being a wife that can take out a lot from you. So, talk to us a little bit about balance and like what does that look like for you in the stage of life that you're in? with your kiddos and with where you are with your work and everything else? I feel like it's constantly moving. I feel like it's an ever
1: flexible balance, as you said, like, you know, picture scales when you're saying that of just kind of tipping up and down and back and forth. And I think most recently, I really had to learn to honor what my capacity is. There's a lot that I wish that I would be able to do, but realize that I really can't show up at work and at home to my husband and to my kids and then us as a family unit without like naming my limitations in energy, in my mental capacity, in my emotional capacity. And it, most particularly, but also physical capacity. I mean, sometimes I just physically end up feeling tired. Um, so I really had to learn to know what I really actually need in order to be able to restore myself and uh, be able to know that I have to leave space to fit that in. I That's need so time. so good. <laughs> yeah. I, God created me to need to be by myself in order to recharge. And so I am able to balance, if you will, better by making sure that I take that, that energy, like pull the energy that I need in order then to be able to have it for my family and my work better.
0: That's so smart. You know, and one of the things that you said that I think is really key is that sometimes when we think about balance and having a balanced life, we think about it as like a destination. Like I'm going to put in all of this work and do all of this effort so that I can get to that point of having balance but it really is a verb i mean it's it's an action it's in everything that we do and i think a big part of that and finding what that active balance looks like for us is really knowing ourselves and what we need in order to restore what we need like what are those signals of we need to rest or we have energy that we need to burn off because even i notice for myself sometimes i get so caught up in what the plan is that I don't recognize like whatever I'm naturally feeling that day. Because there are some days that I am exhausted and I need rest. And then there are other days where I have energy to burn. And if I just try to go through my to-do list and I don't use up that energy, then it's gonna be hard for me to sleep that night or I get overly anxious or stressed. And so Mm. really getting to know yourself, I think is a huge key to kind of creating that balance.
1: Absolutely. And I feel like it's taken me up until recently to start asking those questions before. It's just like, Oh, the, you just do the thing, right? You just do the <laughs> thing. You just do the thing. And then suddenly I was like, wait, I don't, you know, I think I've just kind of done the thing the way I thought I was supposed to do it, or maybe the way I've learned it. And maybe that's not the best way for me.
0: Hmm. So, so true. I think for all of us, and I think it's important that we all start asking those types of questions and really That's what this podcast is all about, right, is is giving that space to be able to ask those questions so we can really be intentional about the way that we're living our life. And I think one of the things that I've noticed for me, especially as my kids have gotten older, is that need of being intentional around food and what I'm feeding them, and even around the way I talk about it, the way I present it. And when I start really thinking about all of the things involved in that, I get super stressed out. And and then I wonder, like, am I making this harder than it really needs to be? Because I do have a tendency of doing that sometimes with a lot of other areas of my life. But the more I talk to other women, other moms, like they have that same feeling of stress and that same feeling of, am I doing this wrong? Or is there a better way of doing food in my family? And, you know, there is that balance and that mix of like, I need to get food on the table. I don't have a lot of time. But at the same time, like, you wanna be eating the rainbow and you are they eating enough vegetables? And you have all of these other messages that are coming out you. So talk to us a little bit about why food and feeding our family and why this whole process seems to be so stressful. It's stressful. Well, one reason why
1: is I think culturally we get a lot of messages about food all the time, right? And a lot of times they're even conflicting. But I think when we think about feeding our kids, we can really boil it down to the most stressful points being, are they eating enough? you know, this sounds like, especially early on, like, are they eating enough overall? Are they eating enough fruits and vegetables? Are they eating enough different types of things? I think we can, a lot of us for our children, we can think back on a time where it seems like they only were eating these certain foods, or if we have a pickier eater in our home, and they seems like their intake is more limited, we're worried, like, are they getting enough? You know, are they getting enough? That can become very stressful. It's also, are they getting too much? You know, are they eating too much overall? Are they eating too much of a certain food type? We tend not to be as judgmental about fruits or vegetables when our kid's eating a number of those, but we might worry more about, you know, do they eat too much cheese or do they eat too much chips? Are they drinking too much of this, that, or the other? And a lot of times we can start to worry about, is something too much or are they eating too much overall? And those seem to be the questions that most often come up for parents that kind of drive a lot of the stress. And what I always try to help my parents come back to, especially in those early years, is the growth chart. It's really helpful to have conversations about where your kid's at on the growth chart and just are they tracking in the same lane? You know, if your kids are staying in the same lane, then I'm not concerned about a strong feeding issue of any sort. When we become concerned is when we see kids change lanes. And when you look at a growth chart, you can see these more solid lines and it gives kids room, you know, to move around in there. But a lot of times children at birth or shortly after birth, you know, they, they will be in very small bodies or very large bodies or in the middle. And where they're at on the growth chart doesn't matter nearly as much as do they kind of stay Going that way. I mean, God created big bodies. He created small bodies, just like He created bulldogs and Great Danes and chihuahuas. You know, it did the same in humans. And so, more so, we want to make sure that that child is continued to nourish themselves in a way that keeps their body the way it was supposed to go.
0: I love that you use the word nourish and you really kind of hit a lot of those stresses spot on. Those are all the things that I, that I kind of stress about, especially about the word nourish. Like, are they getting the right kinds of foods. You know, I think about like the things that I eat when I'm approaching food and I have like certain rules for myself on, you know, I don't like to eat too much sugar or I like to eat this or I like to eat that. And I'm always worried about my fiber intake. And, but then when it comes to feeding my kids, I'm like, there's fruits and there's vegetables. But then I wonder like, are they eating too much? junk food or, you know, because my kids are a little bit older. And so they kind of fend for themselves for the most part during the day, as far as like breakfast, lunch, that kind of thing. And I always wonder like, are they making the right choices? But then, you know, it is hard to balance as a parent because then I also wonder like, am I putting on some of my own thoughts that I have around food onto my kids? And is that even like a healthy thing to do? And I know when I talked to some of the my mom friends, one friend in particular, she's a mom of girls just like you. And she brought this up is that she wants to make sure her kids, her daughters are growing up with a positive self-image of themselves and not having issues with food. And I had never really thought of that before raising boys. I've just thought about like, nutrition and what their body actually needs and not the mental component part of it. But then after she mentioned that, I started wondering like, oh, am I messing them up by like saying don't eat too much sugar? I mean, obviously we know we don't want our kids just loading up on sugar, but how do we balance that healthfully, both mind and body? It's like a new area of stress, isn't it, Jenny? It is.
1: (laughs) This is so stressful. (laughs) It's like, it's the one I didn't mention earlier. It's the then we kind of wonder about our kids in relationship with food. And I also, because of the way I practice, I also specialize in treatment of eating disorders and folks. So I really do have like the whole thing in mind when I'm talking about feeding our kids. And when I'm talking about our relationship with food and body and how it can affect our kids you know, what I know, you know, study wise, but also anecdotally from what I see in my practice and what is happening in the parent as it relates to food and body can have a positive and negative effects on our kids. Um, Modeling is one of the greatest things that we can do to impact our kids and positive relationship with food. And so what I mean by modeling is when we do have the opportunity, as I know when they get older, this becomes less and less, but when we do have an opportunity to share meals with our families and our children are seeing us eat a variety of foods, those foods become more acceptable to get them, they become normal, even if they aren't choosing to eat them within your home. I mean, remember, if our kids are in our home for 18 years, assuming that they leave the home then or shortly after then, they still have what is hopefully, you know, another 80 years in in life ahead of them. So it's really a small time that if they're not eating many vegetables or fruits, or different things like that, while they're in the home with us, us modeling that to them is what they will carry with them into adulthood and help them adopt eating different types of foods and seeing what a meal is like and what meal components should be in a part of a meal that will carry them into adulthood and they will gravitate to those choices because it's what they've been able to see in their lives as normal to them. So this is why we encourage oftentimes, you know, family meals, family meaning whoever's in the home at the time, you know, eating in a meal together At wherever that family eats, be it at a table, a kitchen table, countertop, floor, wherever a family likes to eat. And being able to model to our kids eating and feeding ourselves with regular rhythm throughout the days and and our practices will help instill in them. And then you brought up, you know, language, evaluating foods as good and bad, A lot of times as parents can also be vulnerable towards pushing kids harder towards foods that we envision as good, like vegetables or fruits and kind of elevating them above other types of foods. Those things can or cannot, you know, for some kids, these things won't matter. And then for some kids, it will impact them in various ways. That's on a continuum of, you know, starting to categorize those foods as good and bad themselves. And so when... We bring a lot of food judgments in that can translate into feeding issues for ourselves a lot of times often into adulthood, but we can see that at younger ages as well. Being scared to eat certain foods would be a more severe, you know, end of that spectrum. The language certainly impacts, but it's also, you know, how permissive are we with different types of foods in the household? Do our kids have access to a wide variety of foods and are we limiting them significantly in any one area. And a lot of times that is where feeding issues can show up. Sometimes kids will sneak food and sometimes kids will eat significant quantities of that food an example of this might be something like sugar, if the kids aren't allowed to have dessert very often in the house, when they are around it, if they go to a friend's house, where maybe they have a lot of those things at their house, they'll tend to eat large quantities of it, um, when they do have access to it. And it creates, I mean, really much like we see oftentimes in adults when they're dieting is when you, you don't have a food for a long time, and then you suddenly have access to that food, you tend to eat. Large quantities of the food. And we certainly see this with our kids as well when food is being restricted and not as accessible.
0: So true. You know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking even about myself. When I was growing up, my mom wouldn't buy fruit snacks. Like I would go to school and other kids would have fruit snacks in their lunches and stuff like that. And I would trade something for it and I loved them because I love gummy candies. It's like my favorite. Like if you could live on anything, I would live off of gummy candies. And so when I became an adult and I started buying fruit snacks for my kids because I didn't have fruit snacks growing up, my kids, they're totally fine with a box of fruit snacks around. I cannot have it in sight. Otherwise I will just eat the whole box of fruit snacks. Even now as an adult, knowing that like they're just sugar, that's not healthy, I don't need it but my kids have no problem with it whatsoever at all. And it's so interesting when you you say that about, you know, limiting too much and then them wanting more of that and kind of not having that control. When we're thinking about feeding our kids and kind of setting that example, is that kind of part of it too that we want to be thinking about is self-regulation?
1: Yeah, so what we want to do as parents is be able to foster self-regulation. And so example that you gave is when we give permission around things. And there's a role that parents do play because certainly at different stages of life, we have some knowledge about what food should be available, right? And we want to bring that knowledge to the table, pun intended, to our kids in order to be able to give them a good place to work from for self-regulation. But our kids are born with an ability, an innate no, to self-regulate. A great example is, you know, our babies. Jenny, we've had babies in our house. I mean, how do you know when a baby's hungry? Of course they cry. They cry. How do we know when they're done eating? They stop eating. How do they know? That's a good question.
0: Their tummy fills full, I would imagine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And without any rules or regulations or anything like that, they take what's available to them, the food that's available to them, and they know that they're hungry because of something that happens in their body that tells them that I need to ask for food. And that's hunger, right? Hunger is our body's only way of communicating to us about food and, and needing energy. And then the baby stops when it's full. And if food is regularly available and accessible to a baby, they will grow. And they, assuming there's no other feeding issues, and they will remain on that growth chart, like I told you, So we want to find ways to continue to foster this in our kids. Certainly in those early years, our kids go in fits and spurts of eating and not eating. And because they just kind of do that naturally, because there's times that they're growing more and they need more, and there's times that they're not. And the more that we can kind of step back and allow them to self-regulate on different food types and intake the more we foster them to continue this way on into adulthood.
0: That's so good. That's so good. Okay. So my next question I have for you along the lines of behavior and food and and what kind of what we're teaching our kids. Let's talk a little bit about treats and rewards and using food as a treat or reward. So for example, if if their kids are having a bad day, maybe taking them out for ice cream to cheer them up or you know, at the end of the week, for example, we usually will get pizza as a way of like celebrating the weekends here and having family time together. How much should we be really be concerned about setting our kids up as using food as a celebratory item? Okay, on this show, we talk a lot about systems. After all, we totally believe that systems are one of the three pillars in helping you create more balance in your life. But what do systems actually mean? And how do you actually apply them to your life? It's one thing to hear what other people are doing, but how do you apply that to yourself without getting completely overwhelmed? Because, you know, we still have to do life This is why I created the life balance method. Because you know, you can take a course and you can learn new skills and you can listen to podcasts, but it's really in that application that we learn to make lasting change into our everyday. And as a result, we feel like a better mom, more calm, more focused, and more in alignment with being who we want to be as a wife, as a mom, as a worker in our career, and just as a woman of God. Inside of the 12-week program of Life Balance Method, you will go week by week and apply the systems that will help you create balance in every area of your life. Every single week, we are focusing in on a different area and showing you different systems, helping you create focus, and really aligning with what your goals are for those areas and how to actually achieve them. And as you're walking this out, the Life Balance Method gives you access to Life Balance Membership and. I'll even mail you a life balance planner so that you can be living this out each and every single day. You guys, this is the program that teaches you the systems and that helps them actually stick, personalized to you. And we're kicking off another 12 weeks starting on April 10th. This means the last day to enroll is April 7th. And that way I can get the planner out to you and you can be ready to go and roll as soon as we start. You can learn more about this program by going to yourliferocks.com forward slash method. That's yourliferocks.com forward slash method. And I am so excited for the next 90 days. Think about this going into summer, having these systems under your belt and ready to just be free and enjoy summer without the pressure of feeling behind in any area of your life. Now is the time to learn these systems, apply them to your life and make the next 90 days really matter. You can join the Life Balance Method by going to yourliferocks.com forward slash method. See you there. How much should we be really be concerned about setting our kids up as using food as a celebratory item? So food as a
1: celebration, I think is important. And I do see that differently than rewarding. And so I'll get to that in just a minute here. Food as a celebration is something that is even biblical. I mean, feasts and foods and certain things going at certain times that for celebration. So Jenny, if in your household, the end of the week is a celebratory moment and pizza goes with that celebration. I think that is a beautiful thing, especially if we don't have a rule that pizza could never be had outside of that. Now you might not typically have pizza outside of that just because you look forward to it on Friday and that's when you all enjoy it and it may not come up. So as long as there's not a rule, like we can't have pizza any other time when it presents itself then I think celebrations and foods and celebrations as part of that is really important. And especially those of us that are followers of Christ or readers of the Bible, (laughs) there are so many beautiful examples of an abundant life of Christ being paralleled to eating and eating experiences throughout the Bible. And for the question of reward, though, We don't typically encourage using it as a reward. And an example of this would be potty training, for example, early on. Or if you do this, then you can have this food. So more so performance based. Again, it comes down to the accessibility and the permission and that food doesn't have to be earned in any way or certain foods are reserved for rewarding for performance. I think there's a difference there between that and that there are just some experiences that food is part of our celebration.
0: I love that you bring it right back to the accessibility and permission and having a healthy relationship with food in that context, because I think that that really helps to simplify and take away some of the stress around like the mental piece around food. I want to kind of come back to the nutritional piece here for a moment on teaching our kids because it this is where it does get really kind of overwhelming. I mean, I love learning about nutrition. I love watching videos on YouTube about nutrition and talking to people who know about nutrition and Just kind of getting to know, like, what do I need to eat if I want to sleep better or if I want to have better focus at work and understanding that correlation between my food. And so I've tried to start teaching that to my kids and thinking, you know, what things do you want to have more of in your life? And then let's think about like what minerals or vitamins you need to help support that and then what foods that those are in. And we did this as part of a, a homeschool assignment that I did with my kids. And then I found that they were like, oh, well, I don't like this vegetable, but I like this vegetable and they give me the same thing. So I'm just not going to eat this vegetable anymore. And I'm only going to eat like say sweet potatoes. And I'm like, uh, wait a minute. Did that backfire on me? Or is that okay that they're kind of self-selecting? I like this one, but not this one. I think it's okay that they're
1: self-selecting. I think that eating the foods that they like is really important. And this is, again, this is a great opportunity for them to even use some nutrition information to help inform their decisions, but still allowing them to be able to explore, especially as we get into those teen years where autonomy becomes such an important part of their oh, development. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, this is another opportunity to support them in, you know, multiple things that are going on. You know, this also sometimes goes on in our toddler years too. There's food jags that happen. We call them food jags when they eat the same thing for a long time. Some of that is because that's just what they need nutrient wise. And sometimes it's because they want to be able to exercise some autonomy and we can't force anybody to eat. It's physically impossible to do so. And so, you know, this is a place too, for your children, teens where they're getting to pick and choose. And again, remember that what you're modeling in the home as a parent will help serve them on into the rest of their life. It'll make that food normal to them. And one day they might be curious and try it in different ways. It doesn't necessarily mean that that food is gone forever. And that's what we have to keep in perspective as parents because it can be stressful to think that our kid is abandoning a certain food or food group or a way of eating. It's not necessarily means that it's that way for life. And more so if we can be relaxed about it and support them in their self-regulation and their autonomy, they're more likely to accept those foods into their diet down the road than if it becomes something that we're giving, like we're all butting heads about, I think would be the best way to say it. And so it allows them to continue to be curious.
0: That's so good. You know, Megan, one of the things I love is that as we're talking about all of this stuff that can be very stressful, you know, making sure our kids get enough, making sure they're not having too much, making sure that we're not poisoning their minds about food and, and keeping it all on the right track. Everything that you've talked about is really so full of grace about the way that we can approach feeding our families, but it still feels a little bit overwhelming. So if you could give us some tips on really how to simplify the process, make it less stressful maybe even a little bit easier, like in the practical? Because I think I feel a lot better just with the whole grace aspect of knowing that there, you know, things don't have to be perfect. Things will change. They'll change. It's all okay. But then how do I practically approach this?
1: I like to use the division of responsibility. And when I learned about this as a nutrition student, which this is a second career for me, so I got to learn this early on in my child rearing days, my when I was pregnant with my first child, that would be the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, the division of responsibility was actually developed by Ellen Satter. That's E-L-L-Y-N-N-S-A-T-T-E-R. And Ellen Satter uses the division of responsibility It was a way to help parents reduce the stress out of eating. And this is what I like to coach my parents in, in my practice and what I used. And I feel like always comes back and saves me because even though I help folks with this all the time, it's always different when it's our own kids. And so my own food stuff gets triggered and I have to remember, you know, oh, you know, this is their job. This is my job. And that's what it does is it defines jobs. It divides the responsibility. So parents decide what is being served, when it's being served, and where it's being served. And so if I break that down just a little bit, as we decide what, meaning most of the time, you know, we want our meals to have things like a protein and a starch and some sort of fat and a fruit or vegetable. That's what we're offering up. The when, some sort of predictable rhythm in our home for meals and snacks. This matters more earlier on. With our little ones. But still, if there's a rhythm in the home for when meals are being served, everybody kind of knows how to self regulate throughout the day based on when things are going to be available. And then the wear, which we usually recommend, you know, some sort of family seating arrangement without distractions. So usually without TV or phones or devices, usually not all the time. Pizza movie night on Fridays is a big deal in my home. Like we watch a movie together, we eat. So I always encourage flexibility when it comes to this, and early on, those wins I do want to go back and say, especially having a, a meal, a snack, a meal, a snack, a meal available to our kids and having some sort of rhythm like that can be really helpful and then if you have a family who has a late bedtime, then another snack you know might be appropriate at that end of the day. That's our responsibility. I decide the what, I decide the when, I decide the where and then The kid's job, the kids take it from there and they do the if they're going to eat it at all. And they do, they determine the how much, which allows them to self-regulate. And this is where we have to offer a lot of trust and hold our concerns inside to kind of watch and see. Now, if somebody has not practiced this way in their home, it can kind of feel stressful to think about you know, changing a lot of these different things. So if you're somebody who has been maybe limiting the number of, I don't know, let's just give an example, rolls at the dinner table, but you have a child that particularly loves bread and they want to eat a number of the rolls. So, you know, this can feel and bring up a lot of stuff for us. It can feel very scary. So picking, you know, an area like that, whereas maybe also if you let your younger child eat snacks anytime they want during the day, and both of these things you're contemplating trying to switch at the same time, you know, I encourage you to pick one area, just pick one area. And maybe that's having rhythms for meals and snacks. Maybe that is trying to be more permissive with helpings of food at the table. You know, with respect to what's available and making sure that everybody can have, have enough. That's a great way to start teaching our kids early on, having respect for the number of people at the table and the amount of servings that you're taking. And then just maybe kind of pick one area to work with at one time, because if you've never really had a rhythm for eating, and you have been more concerned about the a number of servings for a food or maybe making sure that your child eats all of this before they have dessert or making sure that your child eats all of the vegetables on their plate when they have a lot of resistance on that. If there's a lot of different ways that mealtimes tend to be a battle in your home, I definitely encourage to pick kind of one thing at a time. And then the process is really helpful because we can help instill self-regulation in our children, but also it tends to actually be when we get in each other's lane that feeding issues tend to happen. When children, especially at a young age, as it gets older, obviously this changes, but our children are in our elementary school age children and even some of our preteens, I mean, if they're allowed to have snacks whenever they want to, they may not come to the table hungry if we are concerned about their intake, and we're being restrictive, as we mentioned before, that can actually create feeding issues elsewhere. You know, it can actually encourage our child to eat larger amounts of that food at a later time. So sticking to that mantra of like, I decide what, when and where, and then I hand the job off to them, and they decide if and how much and kind of rinse and repeat throughout the day, can be really helpful way to support this concept of self-regulation.
0: I love that you really take away so much of the overwhelm, but I have a couple questions for you. Okay. So on the parents' side, if I'm controlling the what, when, and where, now this is like the when is something that is very flexible in our house. I mean, we're homeschooling this year. And so we have a bit of a lunch, like this is when lunch is but breakfast is kind of like free run so if i wanted to say okay you have to have your breakfast before 9 a.m like my older son sometimes he rolls out of bed at the very last second that he could possibly roll out of bed if he misses breakfast do i just say you miss breakfast
1: i think it's up to you jenny and what works best with the oldest kids my first question would be is it causing any feeding issues elsewhere Like, is he just not hungry by the time it gets to lunchtime, if lunchtime is kind of this benchmark meal in your home? If it's younger children, I definitely would say, yes, you just wait till the next eating occasion. Because we have this like meal snack, meal snack rhythm, Mm -hmm. you know, that you can always come back to. When it's your older kids, I would more so say, if it, he does just fine getting up later and having a breakfast. And then he's able to participate in that family like lunch meal just fine and that works for him and he's not missing out on that in any way, then there's no, you know, feeding issue there and you can probably afford a lot of flexibility with older kids.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, he's 15 and he's a boy and he can eat from like the moment he wakes up till the moment he goes to bed and be just fine. He's always hungry. (laughs) I don't understand where he gets it, where it goes because he's, you know... Whatever, but uh, I guess that's just the beauty of being a teenage boy. Mhm, And in those cases, too,
1: you know, our teenage boys, gosh, they could probably eat meal, snack, 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 meal, snack,
0: snack, yeah, you know, and
1: and our girls, too, sometimes when they're really growing, unfortunately, you know, society kind of steers our girls away, they're a little bit more vulnerable. Like boys tend to be praised for how much they're eating. And that's when we start to separate. And girls tend to be told like they're not supposed to be hungry. And so a lot of our girls could could eat that way as well and need to feel like they need to. But again, you know, one day he will reach adulthood and, you know, hopefully what we're modeling at home, you know, are some sort of regularity to meals and snacks if needed. And again, that's, you know, it's a place for them to go to of like, you know, I saw my parents eat breakfast. So, you know, breakfast is kind of a way I do things like breakfast is normalized for me. If we live in a home where the family doesn't eat breakfast, then skipping breakfast is going to be what's a normalized behavior to take in, into adulthood. So it's, again, that modeling piece is still serving even your teens who we might really need to let have a lot of autonomy as it relates to food. But if you're something that you're seeing that feels concerning, like a a feeding issue of any sort, you know, having a conversation with them of like, can we experiment? Could we try this? Like, could you get up and have breakfast and then see if that makes you hungrier for lunch when we all share this meal together and could we give it a try like could we experiment around with it and see and notice what you feel in your body like do, do you feel any better doing it that way and encouraging our kids to be able to experiment with different things that we're wondering about to try but not saying one way's good or bad it's just again helping them connect and notice what might feel really good in their body
0: all right so my next question for you has to do with the kids division of this responsibility so my youngest son really does not like vegetables he likes broccoli, but that's it. He won't, he won't even try any other vegetables. He says it smells weird. It looks weird, whatever. Now, if I let him choose how much, he will choose zero, even if I put it on his plate. Is that okay? Do I just keep putting it on his plate and letting him choose? Or is it okay to say have at least one bite?
1: It's okay. Um, it's okay. And then whether or not you do one bite is up to you. Sometimes I like to say, instead of making it a rule, sometimes we can often just say, I'd really like it if you would try you know, it would be great if you would try it and then just move on from it. We don't want to get into a battle over it because sometimes then we can start involving other emotions into whether or not we're eating the vegetables. Sometimes it's then it's not even just about not liking them. It can bring about a rebellion. But you absolutely can let him just go without having. And as a matter of fact, Ellen Satter even recommends, you know, feeding family style and nobody has to have anything on their plate that they don't want to. That's not how I feed in my home because I, that sounds like too many dirty dishes. I feed, you know, I put things from the stove onto plates and I have one child as well that does not accept vegetables very much. And then I have another child that eats them like crazy. And the child that doesn't accept vegetables very much, I mean, I just put a small serving on her plate when we move on. And at some point I'll say, did you get a chance to try it? And she'll say no. And we let it go.
0: Oh, so much grace there to be able to give up that battle <laughs> every <laughs> night would be amazing. Like that right there just takes out all of the stress, not having to have that battle well, Megan, I absolutely love all of these tips that you have shared with us today on how we can really feed our families in a way that increases our confidence and takes away some of the stress and the overwhelm from it. Because like we like we started off saying, there are so many things to worry about when it comes to feeding our kids and making sure that they are getting enough and the right things. And then there's that whole mental component on top of with it. So I just thank you so much for the work that you're doing to come alongside families and women and and really helping them make the right choices when it comes to their health. Now, if someone wants to work with you or learn more about what you are doing, what is the best way for them to get in touch? Well, they can
1: find us at www.simplenutritioncounseling.com. And another great place to interact with us is on social media, Instagram at nutrition is simple and also on Facebook, which is Facebook slash SN Counseling. And we post a five-minute video once a week. One is called What the Fork, where we answer questions about food and body. And the other one is a quick bite, where we share tidbits about nutrition. And those come out once a week and are free and available. And I also have a resource that I actually just finally created this week, Jenny. So I can send you the email for it. And it's my framework for helping moms think about like, you know, what are some places that I can start if I want to improve my relationship with food and body? You know, Ellen Satter has done this great work with the of responsibility. But if any of your listeners are thinking like, gosh, I do label foods a lot as good and bad. And, you know, I do tend to restrict my own intake and have a lot of different foods that are off limit for myself. And I'd be curious about, I mean, what would it look like if I didn't have a lot of different rules that I followed as it related to food? Then this framework is such a neat place to start. because so it's like, well, if I'm not doing that, then my eating's going to be out of control. So is there is actually this gray place that exists in the middle? And the value behind doing that work ourselves is just what I said, you know, modeling has such a big impact on our kids. And so it can be, you know, an easy place to start to go to, to start experimenting with that also. And that's at www.forkthefoodrolls.com forward slash framework. And that's just a free download.
0: Fantastic. We'll make sure we link to that because I think that would be a really valuable tool for so many of our listeners to have. Well, Megan, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wisdom and just all of the the great talents that God has given you to come alongside other women and bless them and their walk in this life. And I just pray that He continues to bless your ministry and what you're doing with your business and with your family. And as your girls grow, we were just talking before we recorded, they grow up so fast. So snuggle them tight <laughs> for us mamas that our kids won't let us snuggle with them anymore. But just thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Jenny. It's been fun. Hey, just because the episode's over doesn't mean we have to stop hanging out. Head on over to Instagram and follow me there. You can find me at your.life.rocks. Or if you're more of a Facebook kind of girl, join our community of working Christian moms just like you. You can search Your Life Rocks over on Facebook and connect with us there. And if you're ready to truly create lasting balance and get results in your life, maybe it's time for you to join Life Balance Membership download the Your Life Rocks app in iTunes or in Google Play. You can upgrade to the membership right inside the app. And if you're looking for more resources to help you create more balance, head on over to yourliferocks.com.